in verse 1, and we're still looking at the life of Joseph. And I've explained to you uh, a couple of times so far that Joseph takes up the bulk, I, I think that he even takes up more chapters than some of the more famous people in the Bible, uh, but Joseph is a type of Christ. He was rejected by his own family. He was sold into slavery. He was thrown in prison unjustly. Uh, Potiphar's wife accused him of trying to rape her. Uh, ironically, if you know the real narrative, we'll call it that, uh, basically she was throwing him, herself at him because he was a good-looking guy. And she was bored. And yet, even in him being thrown into prison, wrongfully accused, he comes into contact with two people. And these are two, basically, politicians or slaves, really. They're slaves to none other than the highest king in all the land, the Pharaoh. And while they're imprisoned, they have two dreams simultaneously that Joseph, because we know from the early parts of his story, has dreams and God gives him the interpretation of those dreams. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And as he has been gifted to interpret dreams, he ends up not only being a blessing to himself, God gives him vision for the long term in his life, but he also ends up being a blessing to the servants that he is in jail with. He gets to be a blessing to the prisoners that he's imprisoned with. And as he interprets their dreams, they both come to pass. Uh, One of them, not so great, he's impaled upon a pole. And the other one gets restored to his position as a cupbearer. And so he will be in direct contact with none other than the Pharaoh. He'll have his ear. He also has sips of his wine before he drinks it. And so there's someone that's very close to the Pharaoh that just so happens to know Joseph who can interpret dreams. And Joseph said to him as he was leaving the prison, Now that you're restored to your position, remember me when you enter back into your kingdom, your position, your place of prominence, your place of influence. And just like any good man does, he completely forgot him. And can you imagine how um, disheartening this would be to Joseph? Joseph's just trying to be faithful. And if you look at his life, every circumstance that he found himself in, He continued faithful, not to please men, but in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. So whether there were people looking or not, Joseph was the same everywhere he went. And so here we see in Genesis chapter 41, verse 8, there we go. We're going to get that out of the way. I do that once a week. Verse 1, it says, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years, that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by a river. What's interesting about this dream is that there was another time when someone else had a dream by a river, and it was about future things. It was Daniel. There's a lot of parallels to the life of Daniel and the life of Joseph. But that being said, verse 2 goes on to say, Suddenly, in his dream, there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, And they fed in the meadow. And then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt. And they stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows, all of a sudden they were not vegetarians anymore. 
And they came up after them out of the river, and they ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. And so, as what happens when you have a disturbing dream, he woke up, perhaps in a cold sweat, and he was like, what was that? And then he went back to sleep. Now, some of you aren't able to do that. But in this case, Pharaoh has this dream, wakes up, realizes, oh, it was just a dream. And he goes back to sleep. Verse 5 says, He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk. So this is a very fruitful stalk of grain, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed, it was just a dream. And so, now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. So Joseph has been in prison for two more years from the time that the cupbearer was restored to his place. He's been forgotten. And his God-given gift just so happens to be, in the course of two years, still necessary. But God didn't release him from prison until just the right time. God's timing is impeccable. It's perfect in every possible way, even when we don't get what we want when we want it. But here we have Pharaoh laying on his bed, dreamed two similar dreams. Now, the devotional thought that I had about this is we would think, okay, two dreams, the other two guys had two dreams, but they didn't both mean the same thing. So I wonder what that means about Pharaoh's dreams. Does he have two different dreams with two different meanings, or are they both the same? And if we're not careful, many times we see situations in our life and we go, oh, I've seen this one before, it means this. And as believers, it's very easy to go to, to rely upon past experience and go, this is what it meant then, this is what it means now. But God's always desiring for us to be fully dependent upon what he has to say, not what we think. Proverbs chapter 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He'll establish your steps. And so Joseph is going to have an opportunity that he's been waiting for for many years. So in verse 8, Pharaoh had woken up disturbed and desperate. And so he did what a Pharaoh would do. He called all of his counselors, his cabinet, you might call it, the wise men that he surrounded himself with. And he says, guys, I need some help here. Now, I believe that this is the sign of a good leader. Surrounding yourself with people that are wise is wise. And, and you know, there's, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And yet what Pharaoh's about to find out is that though he surrounded himself with many counselors, he has surrounded himself with no one in whom is the spirit of the living God. Why? Because Pharaoh was known as an offspring of their God. He was meant to be a living being on the earth that represented the sun God. 
And so he looks to himself as a god, so anybody he surrounded himself with would be inferior. But there's all kinds of double meanings and all the things they worship because they don't worship the one true and living God. But here in verse 9 it says, The chief butler, being one who is near his throne, hears about the Pharaoh having this dream and said, I remember my faults this day. He's basically confessing, Oh no, I've sinned. I, I had a man in prison with me when you threw me and the other servant into the baker into prison and we were disturbed by our dreams. And now I know why I came into contact with that man. Now I can put him into contact with you. Verse 9. I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night. He and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it also happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged the chief baker. And so Pharaoh's disturbed and desperate, and so he goes to his wise counselors, his cabinet, the wise the wisdom of the world. He surrounded himself with the best of the best. He looked at his kingdom. He saw wise counsel. He said, you're not going to do what you do anymore. You're going to live with me. And when I need you, you're going to be at my beck and call. But here's the problem. First Corinthians talks about the wisdom of the world. First Corinthians chapter one. I did mark my page. There we go. Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written in Isaiah chapter 29, says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews... As a habit, request a sign, and Greeks prefer to seek after wisdom. But we, talking about Christ followers, we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it's utter foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because, and this is the capstone, the foolishness of God is still wiser than men. And the weakness of God is still stronger than men. For you see your calling. And then he's going to talk about the Corinthians that he's writing to that are already believers. He says, 
Your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. Think about this. Joseph is a, in the eyes of the world, he's a servant. He's a good-for-nothing slave. He's just a handmaid. He's someone that's called to just be ready when there's grunt work to do. He's also a prisoner. I don't know about you guys, but on my, on my favorites list on my phone to call people when I'm in need, I don't call people that are in jail for wisdom. You guys? I didn't think so. Maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe you know somebody that was wrongfully accused. But most of the time, I don't call anybody that's a servant or a, a, a blue-collar guy, unfortunately. Many times I do, but I don't call prisoners especially. But he says, you see your calling, Christian, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Now, there's a good group of people in here today. You don't know this, but God's chosen me, the foolish thing, to bring out the wisdom of God because he gets more glory through me than he does somebody that is a, a, a wonderful orator. You know? And we don't like to think about it that way, but God uses the foolish, what the world calls foolish, to bring out the counsel of wisdom of the Spirit of God. Because when the Spirit of God's wisdom comes through a broken vessel, he gets more glory. The vessel doesn't. And so... God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things, the very lowest things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are already, have already arrived, that no flesh should glory in his presence." Now think about this in the context of our passage today. God's got, Pharaoh's got all these people surrounding him that are wise in their generation. And in order to get an interpretation to a simple dream, he doesn't call a magician, he doesn't call a wise man, they don't have any answers. He has to call his own prisoners out. And when he calls out Joseph, he explains to Joseph, here, I've got this burden and I need you to help me with it. I need you to help me. How humbling has that to be to the Pharaoh? And yet John chapter 14 says this. We're going to find out that Joseph is a man in whom is the Spirit of God. And Jesus spoke to his disciples about the Spirit of God. He said, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I have said to you. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Not as the wisdom of the world does. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so the Pharaoh is going to get to hear the wisdom of God so that his heart will not be afraid. Uh, because if you remember, he woke up disturbed by his dream. So the butler, the cupbearer, remembers Joseph, tells Pharaoh, I got this connection in low places. I've got friends in low places. 
And I'm going to bring him out, and he's going to give you the wisdom that you need. So verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he had to shave. He changed his clothing, and he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. I think it's interesting. I think this is a key verse in Joseph's life. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it's not me. It is not in me to interpret a dream. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now remember, I told you, in their culture, Pharaoh was God. Pharaoh had set himself up. He is their God. He tells them when and where and what to do. He's the answer for their problems. Except here he doesn't have answers for his own problems. By the way, if your God can't solve your problems, it's not God. If the thing that you give your time and your talents and your efforts and your obeisance to cannot fix your problems, you need to knock that thing down. It's not God. It's a poor substitute at best. Pharaoh's finding out he's not God. Pharaoh's finding out that he's not the source of wisdom. He's even finding out that the one guy that he thinks is the source of wisdom is only that because he has a relationship with Yahweh. And every time you see Joseph give God the glory in this passage, he's saying Elohim, which is the same name for the God in Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim, three in one. And so he says, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh. In other words, you're not God, but I know God and he can answer. And he can not only give you an answer, but he can give you an answer that will bring peace. Peace comes from God. Verse 17, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river. Now, have you guys ever had a dream and you couldn't remember it? Like as soon as you wake up, this dream was obviously very impactful because he's not just waking up going, I don't even remember what it was, but that was creepy. He wakes up and he's able to recall it over and over again. And so the Lord is speaking to him. He says, I stood on the bank of the river and suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh's never seen cows that look like this. It was the land of plenty. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up, and one stalk full of good. Then behold, seven heads withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them, and the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. And then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one dream. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. So he says to him very quickly, God is speaking to you. This is from the Lord. This was not a bad burrito. 
This wasn't ice cream too late. This wasn't, you know, whatever you might think it is. This is something specifically for you, Pharaoh. I think it's interesting. We oftentimes think that God cannot speak into the lives of those who are the most ungodly leaders. But I want to encourage you right now that though you think that it's all going down, that all these leaders that that are in power right now, however you think they got there, that God is speaking to them and he will use them to bring him glory. That's what he does. You think President Biden's the most evil guy ever? And I want to submit to you, you have never lived under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. You've never lived under the reign of Pharaoh. And you've never lived under the the reign of Nero. Nero burned down half of the city of Rome and blamed believers, and then he burned them at the stake for it. I don't see any smoke yet here. Now, around the world I do. Pray for those who are persecuted. And pray for the president. Pray for the stinking president. Lift up holy hands. If we don't, nobody will. God is on the move, and we need to be open to seeing what he's doing. What's not in the mainstream media, though there's a lot of ungodliness, Biden's actually supporting Israel right now. He may not want anybody to know that, but he is. There is hope. And it's not in a president. It's in the Spirit of God moving in mighty ways. His wisdom is far beyond our our seeking out. Trust him and him only, please. There is no hope in politics. I don't care what side you're on. There's no hope in the specific president. There's only hope in Jesus that cannot ever be taken away. And so Joseph's identity in the world is a worthless slave, a guilty prisoner, a man rejected by his own family. He's Jesus in so many ways. And yet Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Joseph gets to bear the burden of the Pharaoh with him. And not many of us get that opportunity. But we can bear the burden of our leaders. We can pray for them. They may not share their stories with us, but we can pray for them and identify with them. And number two, maybe you find yourself in a spot where you're anxious or overwhelmed and God's speaking to you and you can't take it. You need to hear from God. He's the only true source of peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything and prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, make your request made known to God, and he will give you the gift of his peace. He will speak to your heart the things that you need to hear for whatever it is you're going through. And I also want to point out something else about Joseph. He waited two years for this opportunity from the time he met the cupbearer, and really 13 years. His life had been crummy but it was a life of preparation for this moment because he's going to get to be the second of, in all of Egypt at 30, at 30 years old. Most of our 30-year-olds are still living in mom's basement playing whatever game is cool now, Halo or whatever. They, they haven't even become men yet. They've not matured. They're old. Some of them are having kids. Uh, But they're boys, and they haven't changed to men yet. Boys to men. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's my wife's influence, not mine. I can't be held accountable for that. They're all the same band. 
13 years, right? God doesn't rush character development. At 29, he wasn't ready. At 29 and a half, he wasn't ready. At 29 and three quarter, he wasn't ready. When he was ready, God put him in that situation. But from Joseph's life, he's still giving the credit to God every time. And we see that in verse 16. He says, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. In verse 25, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. In verse 28, this is the thing which I've spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 32, and the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by who? God. And God will shortly bring it to pass. So, verse 26, the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one, he says this. The seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 29, indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be shown in the land, known in the land because of the famine following it, for it will be very severe. And the, and the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food and those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So God gets the credit. And Joseph's relationship with God is not his knowledge or his study of dreams. The reason he's fruitful, the reason he's able to interpret is that he knows the Lord, not because he's a dream, he's not a tarot card reader. He, he knows the Lord. He knows God's will. And Joseph doesn't only give information. He doesn't just go, here's what the dream means, and walk away. He actually gives wisdom. Here's how you're supposed to apply this. God doesn't just give us data. We live in the land of data. We live in a time where there's been no much more knowledge than there is right now. You can Google anything. You can find out everyone's opinion. You can find out even some facts. You can find out a lot of non-facts. There's information so far spread and wide that we don't even ask each other anymore what we think. We go to Google. So we don't even ever wonder about things anymore. And I think one of the things that happened is because knowledge is so readily available, we think that once we obtain it, we've arrived. But the problem is, is that knowledge is only that. It's knowledge. It's data. Wisdom is knowing what to do with that knowledge. 
Wisdom is knowing what to do based on what God has shown us. Wisdom is taking knowledge and applying it to our lives for an end. And that's what Joseph brings. He brings an interpretation that tells what the dream means, and then he comes up with a plan to deal with what's coming. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. That's terrible news. Seven years of plenty don't mean anything if we don't take advantage of it. Some of you, some of you kids, some of you teachers, some of you that work in seasonal jobs, you're getting ready to experience the time of plenty, the time of extra time, the time of rest, if you will. And if you're not careful, you won't take it like seven years of plenty. You'll fill it up so much that when the famine comes for time again, that's going to be in the fall, you will not have taken full advantage of the summer. To, to take advantage of the time, to hear from the Lord so that in the days where there's not as much time, <laughs> you'll be able to benefit from those seven years of plenty and preparation. Now, for a lot of the other of us, there's not a time for that. So you have to make your own time of plenty. And I would encourage you as a pastor that you take at least one day a week and you make that your day of plenty. And I don't mean a day of plenty of stuff to do. I don't mean a day of getting everything done. I mean a day of plenty of rest. What does rest look like? It looks like drinking in the Lord, asking him for peace, asking him for wisdom, feeding on his word like you don't normally have time to do. And then the rest of the week, you can feed off of that time of plenty. I, w- I would encourage that. So Joseph gives this wisdom, and then Pharaoh responds to him, and he says this, verse 37. The advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? This is Pharaoh saying this, by the way. He's going, Who else are we going to call to lead this plan? You came up with it. You fulfill it. And so... Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand. He said, I sign checks with this. You get to have it. I make decrees with this. You get to make those decrees and sign them. If you don't sign them, they don't happen. That's powerful. He clothed them in garments of fine linen and he put a gold chain around his neck. He, he wants him to look like a leader. Jesus Christ will be clothed in righteous white garments at his return. He will no longer look like a servant. He will look like a king. He's been clothed. He's been put in power. Verse 43, He had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee! At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Joseph is a type of this. 
He's been humbled, and now he's been set in authority. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And so Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. He's free. He's free. And he's a ruler now. And he has prominence and presence and prestige. And yet he's been called to be a servant. Now he's been given a new name and Jesus will have a name that none of us know yet. That's what Revelation teaches. Just like Joseph, it's a mystery. And yet here what we see has been <clears throat> given a name, Zaphnath Panea, and uh, scholars argue over what it means. Uh, some think that it actually means the one who hears from God, and, and some have other ideas. I submit to you that the name is a mystery on purpose, because Jesus has a name that is a mystery on purpose. You can dig into that on your own. He's given a wife. He's not given a Jewish wife. He's given a Gentile wife who is actually Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. On was a place kind of like Hierapolis. Hierapolis was a place of learning. It was a college town, if you will. It was a place of influence. And, and in that day, uh, everything that came from Hierapolis was seen to be right in the world. And so that's where we get our phrase, since she was from on, uh, right on. Sorry, I didn't think that would land. So Joseph went out over all the land, having been empowered, and he was 30 years old. Who else was 30 years old when they began their official ministry? Jesus Christ. He got three years of ministry. And so none of this is on accident, And yet in that time, God gave wisdom, it says, to save the land of Egypt. Don't you think that's interesting? Egypt is a type of the world. Egypt is a type of the flesh. We're not supposed to trust in the flesh. We're not supposed to trust in the ways of the world. And yet God, in his wisdom, is using one Hebrew man who is called to save the world from famine. I love this. And so... Verse 47. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which was in the land of Egypt, laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And I love this because... (laughs) a time of abundance, a time to prepare, and God, in his wisdom, sets up taxes. How many of us like taxes? Yeah, me too. Love taxes. Raise them. Do it. Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that's the tax. One-fifth of all of their increase gets to go where? To the G-man, to the government, to the treasury. A 20% tax. God's plan to save the world. Verse 48 says, he gathered up food for the seven years of plenty. 
And I have there for you, store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust and maybe even taxes can't destroy. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. But he's gathering up this abundance in the time of abundance so that when the famine comes, there will be plenty for all to remain. And verse 49 says, He gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. So, so much came in that Joseph stopped keeping account of it. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, God told his people, I want you to bring in all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. Whether we realize it or not, think about it this way. You're an Egyptian. You're under Pharaoh. Joseph comes in, interprets this dream. They set up a 20% tax. Now, to Pharaoh who had the dream, this is easy to convince him this is important. But nobody else in the land had that dream. All they know is the taxes went up. All they know is they all sudden have to give one-fifth of all of their crops to the government. I don't know about you guys, but I would revolt. I might be throwing a tea party. I might be saying, hey, I've got taxation without representation. I might be throwing a fit. But here's the deal. Convincing the people of Egypt to give to a cause that they don't know is real is sometimes like convincing Christians that they need to give to the cause of God because there's going to come a time where there is a famine in the land a famine for the hearing of the word of God. And we need to be storing up, not money so the pastor can be preachers and sneakers, not money so we can have a greater, bigger building, but money so that we can get the gospel out as far as we possibly can that's within our power so that the time of famine that's coming, when it comes, that there will be plenty of the word of God to instruct people. Do you know this is a type of the seven years of tribulation? There will be seven years of prosperity in the world unlike anybody has ever seen right before the tribulation that Revelation talks about. And then there will be seven years of tribulation and famine and war and pestilence like nobody has ever seen. And if you think 2020 was a pandemic that was worse than anything that's ever going to happen, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because there is a tribulation coming And at that point, there will still be an opportunity to be saved, but everyone who believes in that time will die for their faith. It's guaranteed. And so to get the word out, to get people prepared in this time of abundance, and we live in a time of abundance whether it feels like it or not, but when is the time of famine coming? Are we preparing for it? And when the needs come, if we will store up treasures in heaven, then at the time that it's needed, there will always be plenty for those who need it. So verse 53 through 57. Yes, I skipped some verses. So then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all lands. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, 
the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And the Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says, you should do. Also a type of Jesus. If you remember in John chapter 2, there was this wedding feast that Jesus went to. And they ran out of wine. And when they ran out of wine, what did Mary say? Anything that Jesus says, you should do. So to anybody, by the way, just as a side note, who might have a Catholic background or somebody that's in their life that, that's Catholic, very Catholic, like praying to Mary type stuff, I would, I would tell anybody that's praying to Mary, number one, I don't believe that she can answer your prayers. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. But I was also remember everything that Jesus ever did Anything that Jesus, excuse me, Mary ever said, the last thing that's recorded in scripture that she said, anything that Jesus tells you to do, do that. And I think that's on purpose. We don't need to pray to her. Jesus is our mediator. And, he, and even she said by her own testimony, if Jesus tells you to do something, do it. But here it says that Pharaoh said, go to Joseph and whatever he says to do, you should do it. Verse 56, the famine was over all the face of the earth and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the land. And so, I think I skipped one. We see what Joseph foretold would happen by the by the message from the Lord through Pharaoh's dream. But what I wanted to point out is in the midst of famine, excuse me, in the midst of plenty leading to the the famine, uh, Joseph becomes fruitful. His wife and he conceive, and they're able to, number one, forget the things that came in the past. Uh, Verse 50 says there for you, Joseph, uh, excuse me, and to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, because Manasseh means to forget. And he did this on purpose because God has made me forget all my toil, all, all my hardship, all my father's house. All the things that happened to me in the past, I all of a sudden see that God has been faithful. The evidence of his goodness, the preparation for this leadership, all of these things that that were afflicting me have led to my glorification so that I can be fruitful for God. And it says there, he... The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so... In order to be fruitful as a believer, we have to put behind the past, not just glossing over it, but choosing to forget it and choosing to see that God was involved in it and being thankful in it. Manasseh is named such because Joseph is recognizing that though he did suffer affliction, it was momentary and it was light in comparison to the glory that's being revealed. And for the believer, what you might experience in today's day and age, affliction, problems, trials, temptations, circumstances that you absolutely abhor, guess what? In the light of eternity, when we get on the other side of the curtain, when we're with the Lord, we're going to look back and go, 
That wasn't so bad. And this is totally worth it. I wish I could go back and tell myself, it's going to be okay. But through the pen of Joseph and through the pen of Paul, I'm telling you through their testimony, it's going to be okay. And it's not just going to be okay. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. The true meaning of the word, awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping, amazing, better than anything this life has to give, but also not just forgetting what was behind, but he's able to see that God has made me fruitful. He's a fruitful vine. The whole world is depending upon the grain that was kept back by the wisdom of God through Joseph. Can you imagine how overwhelmingly joyful that made Joseph? I'm able to help these people that have nothing to eat. And they're staying alive because of what God's used me for. It had to be humbling. Jesus said, out of, out of those who trust in me, out of their lives, out of the abundance of their hearts, will flow rivers of living water. He also said, unless you abide in me, you can do, do no good thing. Paul wrote, one thing I do, in Philippians. I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote that because daily, I guarantee, he had to combat the thoughts that came up in his mind because guess what? He didn't just used to be in prison. For Paul, he used to kill Christians. I cannot imagine the torment I cannot imagine the guilt and the shame he carried about. But he had to look at it and go, God chose me. God chose me anyway. And if he's willing to forgive Paul, who is killing his, his, the people he loves so much, what's the thing that can separate you from the love of God? What's the thing that you have done that you feel guilt and shame for that God can't forgive if you're not willing to repent of it? I'm having a hard time thinking of it. Nothing. And so, all that to say, let's finish up reading our verses. All the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. Which brings back in all the lands that include Joseph's brothers in Canaan. How's there ever going to be reconciliation in Joseph's life? Is he just going to have to move on and maintain distance? It says here that when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, he, he said to his sons, what are you doing? You need to go get some grain. We're going to die here. And so he's going to get an opportunity to reconcile with his brothers. So as we close, God's using Joseph, number one, to save the world from famine. Number two, to reveal his glory to Pharaoh in Egypt. Number three, to reveal something about the future. Number four, to save his own family, God's people, the Israelites. But number five, he's also going to give Joseph an opportunity to be reconciled to his own brothers. Meanwhile, in the world today, this is where you and I find it. God's plan is to work through us, his disciples. There's a famine today that God has planned to save his people from. We can get plenty of the word of God. We all have Bibles access. We all have version or the internet. You can Google the Bible. You, there's been, you can find study resources that weren't there 10 years ago all over the internet. But there's not a famine of the word of God. There's a famine for the hearing of the word of God. 
People aren't listening to it anymore. People aren't heeding. They're not leaning in going, Lord, what do you have for me? But Jesus has already stored up plenty of grain, plenty of bread. He is the bread of life. John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will neither hunger nor thirst anymore. So God's plan is to use us just like Joseph by exposing the world to what he's already spoken, to save the world from its current famine, to reveal his glory to the people and the leaders of the world, to reveal something about the future, to prepare those who believe and will believe in him, to save his own family. God's not done with Israel yet. Read Romans 9 through 11. He hasn't cast them aside. We haven't replaced them. He's going to bring fruition to their people. He's going to fill all of his covenant promises. He's going to use us to reconcile sinful people with Jesus, making those who are currently enemies into joint heirs in his eternal kingdom. He's not done yet. My question for you this morning and for myself is, are we willing participants in this plan? Are we actively involved with the work that he's currently doing? That's for you to pray about. And so, Father, thank you for the life of Joseph. Thank you that he is able to testify in ways that we can glean from that the end is going to justify the means. That your plan being worked out didn't mean that he was always going to be comfortable, but your plan did prepare him for your prominence that you would give him. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to look at the life of Joseph. Would you press into us the specific things that you want us to remember? Maybe it's something I didn't even say this morning that somebody else sees in the life of Joseph. I wonder if Joseph (laughs) realized that it would all be written down. I don't think so. But whether or not he did, Lord, thank you for being the one who made him faithful. And we ask, Lord, that you would be the one to make us faithful. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Help us to love our enemies. Help us to be open to what we're going to read about next week. Reconciliation with our brothers so that Jesus would be made famous instead of us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your plan to save the whole world, not just us. Lord, use us in that plan. Help us to see what you want us to do so that we can work in accordance with your will so as many can be saved as possible. In Jesus' name, amen.